This episode of the e-commerce playbook podcast is brought to you by Toki loyalty memberships and referrals. Right now, Toki is partnering with Common Thread Collective to offer a free 30-day extended trial of their cutting-edge customer loyalty platform. Go to buildwithtoki.com slash CTC to accept this offer. That's buildwithtoki, T-O-K-I dot com slash CTC. Hey, folks, welcome to the e-commerce playbook podcast. I'm your host, Richard Gaffin, director of digital product strategy here at Common Thread Collective. And of course, I'm joined today by our CEO, Taylor Holiday. So that intro was slightly different than the one that I did every single time last year. So again, keeping up with the was result, it? What was the difference? just a touch. I didn't say Common Thread Collective CEO, I believe is the way that I usually lead into it. So, uh, you know, working on it when, you know, chipping away every day. So I my ring light is broken today. Taylor's still in the office. So, uh, you know, I, in a week or so, we're, we're, we're going to finally maintain some broadcasting standards around here. But um, so what we're chatting about today is last week, we talked a little bit about some big swing predictions for 2024. And this pod is going to be s- somewhat similar, but it's, uh, it's e-commerce ins and outs, which is, you know, the, sort of the way that people are doing their resolutions these days. So for instance, I think last week I said my resolution was, you know, 15% body fat, 185 pounds. That's what I'm shooting for. So I guess outs would not being that and ins would be being that. I don't know if there's a better way to phrase that. But so for e-commerce, Taylor back in, let me see, you, you made this list in late December, December 27th of last year, uh, gave us a list of 2024 e-commerce ins and outs, beautifully arranged in a, I don't know what you say, ascending length of the line. You'll just have to, we'll drop this in the show notes so you can look at sort of the visual beauty of this tweet. But anyway, what we wanted to do today was call out some specifics from uh, that list and kind of talk through a little bit about how they're going to affect everybody's year this year in 2024. So Taylor, let's, we, before we hit record here, we kind of talk through a few of these. There's a number of them. I didn't count how many, but it's like 15, 16 of each uh, ins and outs. First off, maybe let's talk about like what, what drove you, compelled you to compile this list? Well, you know, we're always trying to tap into the zeitgeist around oh, sure, here and of course. what all the kids were doing on TikTok. So yeah. I figured I'd, uh, I'd try and go into it. But I, I think the, I'm going to draw a distinction here between the last episode we did, which we're, when you make sort of predictions for the year, you're sort of putting yourself way out there in a way that's like highly unlikely to be true. Mm-hmm. This list, I think, is much more experientially what's happening right now. So it is much less about like trying to guess at, will you know, Meta acquire Shopify because, you know, Toby and Zuck went dirt bike riding together this weekend. <laughs> it's much more like this is what I see happening. This is how the earth is moving under our feet today and what the consequence will, of that will be. So this to me is much more like if I were to look around the landscape of our customers and their behavior, this is what's happening. Uh, and so that's, that's, I think, the difference in the ins and outs versus last week's like, hey, let's throw some, throw some ideas against the wall and see what happens over the next 10 months. Gotcha. Okay. And so in a sense, this is less solutions as much as it is just observations about things that are actually happening. So let's, let's start with the first one that we discussed, um, in for 2024 COOs. Now, presumably COOs have always been around. So in what way are COOs this year? So, so this, this was born out of a trend that's like, again, something that's really happening is that Etsy let go of their CMO and folded the role into the COO position. And then also Walgreens has not named a new CMO after firing theirs, but instead redistributed the marketing function through other executives, okay? So this is like really big companies that have taken the CMO role and just basically 
jammed it into an operational function. And what it tends to signal is that when growth and revenue growth is the governing principle of the organization, marketing, the engine for that, tends to move up in influence and authority in an organization. When those budgets get slashed and costs and the management of costs and profitability become the driving force, operations and finance move forward. And in particular, operations tends to control the mechanism by which the costs are managed. And so you're seeing marketing become subordinate to operations. And I think that that is signal the level of authority granted to COOs in the organization is going to go up. Gotcha. And in e-commerce, this is in particularly true because product is the needs a deeper connection to the demand creation. The demand planning, demand creation need to be unified. And I think that in most organizations, the default is that it is easier for the operations leader to take control of the marketing function than it is for the marketing function to take control of the operation. Now, whether that's true or not or correct or not, I think that tends to be the trend that exists in an era where costs need to be managed. And so I think that our hope is that we can equip marketers to offset this risk, to give them more authority, to grant them control over cost and product and inventory and planning. But I think the trend right now is that the COO, the operations function is going to increase in authority because they're going to be responsible for managing costs. And if you make someone responsible for the cost, they have to have the authority to cut things. And to do that, yeah. you have to kind of give them hierarchical, hierarchic authority. Gotcha. So actually, then a good parallel to this is one of the outs on the list is heads of growth, which of course was sort of the title bestowed on marketers over the last like three or four, or heads of marketing over the last three or four years. So we're saying heads of growth is out and I, uh, there's obviously w- ways that that connects, but is there anything uh, else to unpack there? Yeah, I just think that, again, that's a, that is a ZERP role, a zero interest rate phenomenon role, like, which was like, hey, we need a person whose job it is. It, it was functionally digital marketing managers that yeah. elevated themselves because there was demand for their service and they got inflated title. But reality is like the head of growth is the CEO. That's who's responsible. You can't be responsible for the growth of an organization if you don't have authority over the budget, if you don't have authority over the product development roadmap. Like growth is a function of all of those things working in unison towards accomplishing a goal. And so really what you had is these heads of growth that were really just responsible for the media budget and the planning of it in a way that, and maybe, you know, also email and SMS and these other levers that are intended to drive growth. But the reality is like that, that if anything, that the marks, that's your marketing leader should be responsible for those things. And then you have these, these channel authority leaders underneath it. And I think it's just, it's an inflated title that actually represents the idea that they have control and authority over something that they've done. And so I think the title is just the misnomer at, at worst, or at best, it's a misnomer. And at worst, it's somebody with, with too much expectation and too little authority. And it's a deferral of the responsibility of some of the key leaders. Gotcha. Okay. So then this is another related to this conversation about cost control becoming sort of more important as we move into this new era. Uh, so the next on the list here after COOs and the ins is fixed fees. So yeah. let's unpack that a little bit. Fixed fees, ex- explain. So what's happening right now, and there's like a, literally today, it's just ongoing. There's like this warfare around people, in particular software companies, attempting to move into the variable uh, revenue model, right? You've got tap cards and you know email providers that are trying to say, hey, we want a piece of every bit of revenue that we created, right? You watch TikTok move from 2 to 8%. Like everybody realizes that the way that 
Shopify and Amazon and these other brokers get so striped, they get so large is they get a fraction of every piece of the pie. They get a little bit of every order. And so everyone understands that if you can do that, if you can create a variable pricing model where as the customer's business grows, your business grows too, that's a really powerful model. And a lot of SaaS businesses have been built on this idea that their margin that they're allowed to take expands over time because they have a fixed delivery cost on a server basis or on a software cost, true cost basis, but the price they charge the customer increases as their business grows. And that's like been the underlying truth of the SaaS business model for many, many years. And in a period where everybody's trying to manage costs, that model sucks. It's not predictable. It's hard to understand. Uh, and it, it, it just continues to inflate. You never are able to expand your own margin. So I think this is true for software. I think this is true for service providers. I think this is true for everybody is that brands want thick fees. They want to realize the margin expansion, not the, the product that they're buying from. And I think that's going to be the flip is that margin expansion has been happening on the SaaS side and the service side. Percentage of spend is another deal that is very common in our industry where, mm-hmm. again, the problem with it was is that your service cost didn't increase relative to your billable. So as an agency, your margin would expand, but for the business, their margin would remain constant. And remember, this is the year of margin innovation for brands. They're coming for all those variable expenses. And there's going to be some provider on the SaaS or service side that's going to be willing to do fixed fees. And so that margin expansion is coming back to the brains. They're coming back for it. Gotcha. Yeah. And that plays into to our, like you've sort of alluded to already, our prediction last week of, of the death of the SaaS company, or at least the slowdown of that industry, particularly because like the business model that's most, or that they sort of desire the most or whatever, there's no longer really a market for it because of the way that con- costs need to be controlled. So this is not- well, There's, oh, there's go just going to be, there's going to be software businesses, obviously. Mm. They're just going to be way smaller. And, and they're going to exist at appropriate margin. I, I just think that what we're realizing is like, wait a second, why do software businesses get to have 50% gross margin? Why do they get that? It like, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. It's off the back of the same pool of money. And so all that's happening is they're going to be normalized to much more businesses that are much more consistent with their, the other product or business models in the space. It just is not real that a business should have that price leverage. And there's enough competition now. And there's going to be, especially with AI, the capacity to create increased competition on the software side, such that the the take rate is going to come down uh, and the margin is going to be recaptured up. If you're still using a first generation loyalty platform like Yotpo or Loyalty Lion and running a traditional points type program, think again. Toki's research proves that running a cashback loyalty program or a paid membership loyalty program can increase your retention revenue by 5x. Toki is easy to implement, design-friendly, and integrated with all the leading platforms in the Shopify ecosystem. Sound too good to be true? See for yourself. Right now, they're offering a 30-day free trial and free onboarding for e-commerce playbook listeners. So go to buildwithtoki.com CTC to try them out for free for 30 days or click the link in the show notes. That's buildwithtoki.com slash CTC. Gotcha. Okay. So let's go back to the outside of the board here and talk a little bit about this, this sort of second out that we uh, highlighted before we hit record here, which was, I believe, revenue-based financing. So there's, there's some similarities there in the way that the sort of the world has shifted that has caused that to be out. But why don't you unpack that? This is, again, the same idea, which is that revenue-based financing, the, the trick of it all is that the actual rate that you pay 
is actually variable dependent on how fast you pay it back. And so it is hard for entrepreneurs to calculate the actual interest rate on an annualized basis that they're paying because it's variable depending on how fast you pay it back because they're taking a percentage of your revenue. And so it sounds like, like, hey, we're going to loan you $10,000 and it's going to be at 4%. But the way that they get that 4% is they take a piece of your revenue every day. And if you pay it back in 30 days, well, 4% on money in 30 days annualized is actually a much higher, it's going to 36, right? Even like the math doesn't work exactly like that. But the general principle will be the same. Mm-hmm. Well, the idea here is, again, it's not a fixed interest rate. It's a variable interest rate. And this idea is that these are all clever ways for somebody else to realize more revenue than is a simple markup on their costs, right? If we think about in retail, there's this very like well-worn principle, which is keystone price, which says that if it costs me X, I sell it to wholesale at 2X and they sell it at 2X from there. So if something costs a dollar, I sell it to wholesale for $2, they sell it to the customer for $4. And everybody's margin along the way remains the same. And that's sort of how the industry functions in a way that's fair to every piece of the supply chain. Well, in lending or in software, those ideas just got blown out of the water by this idea that like, no, 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 I have this variable price structure where my costs remain the same, but my revenue increases at some scaling mechanism that I've tied to you, this idea that like, whether it's on order volume or the rate at which you pay me back, I'm allowed to take more margin from you in that process. And I think it's all the same trend where it's just like, wait a second, this doesn't make sense. Me, the brand, wants to recapture more margin. I'm gonna, so I think a lot of that revenue and just so much of it has gotten negative feedback in our industry. Yeah. There's a lot more education around it. That said, there's also a lot of desperation out there for brands that are going to need financing somehow. Mm-hmm. But I think rather than taking these, this debt that ultimately is not serviceable, and, like, and I think the days, like you used to get, be able to get this money unsecured too. And I think a lot mm-hmm. of that is going away. But I think you're just going to see a lot of bankruptcies, a lot of recaps, and a lot of the thing on the other side constituting a lot less predatory debt in a way that allows the business to actually produce free cash flow. Gotcha. Okay. Well, speaking of which, it segues nicely into the, uh, the inside of the board here. So if we go to, this one popped out of me because I'd not heard about it before, but the 13-week cash flow forecast. So, I mean, the uh, utility of cash flow forecast is not a mystery, I suppose, but why 13 weeks? That's just a default financial term that sort of represents a window in which you can accurately project the actual payment schedule and realization of revenue on a meaningful basis. Some brands like Bamboo Earth, like you run it all the way out. Like we have a cash flow forecast that goes all the way out to the end of the year. But um, the the general working document from a finance perspective is referred to as a 13 week cash flow forecast. It represents close to a quarter, basically, right? So if you 52 sure. weeks in a year, 13 weeks is a quarter of the year. So you're forecasting that quarter's quarter's worth of cash, and forecasting out beyond a window like that has pretty wide error bars. And so for the sake of budgeting and planning, it's one thing. But when you're talking about the management of the money, it doesn't do a lot of good to, to mm-hmm. forecast too far out to where the error bars are still wide. But this is a thing that, it's funny, my brother and I were talking about this of our early days at Kalo, and we didn't have a 13-week cash flow forecast. And now we're sitting so many entrepreneurs, we're like, how could you not have a 13-week cash flow forecast? Well, it's like nobody, nobody really knew to think about that. But... You know, if you go back and think about the hierarchy of metrics video that we talk about at, at CPC, like the ultimate primary measure of success in a business is, does your bank account grow? Yes or no. And anything below that, that you accept as the scoreboard, even the P&L represents still 
an incomplete reality about the performance of your business and ultimately your, your ability to realize the cash for yourself as the asset holder. Like if you actually want to put the money in your pocket, you have to produce free cash flow. The best way to understand if you're using producing free cash flow is to actually forecast out your paying your, your cash flows in and out. And that's all the cash flow forecast is, is like it's my inflows when I'm getting the money and my outflows when I'm making payments. And the novel thing is like, guess what? You can move those things around. Like some people have these like principled things that they do for that are like, we pay all our vendors on the first of the month, no matter what. It's like, well, hold on. If you negotiated net 15, you don't have to pay them on day one. And there's actually no real principle that values that other than doing what you said you did would do within the top five of the time you said you do it. So I think starting to realize that the, the movement of the money is something that's within your control and seeing the things that actually deteriorate your cash, unlock new ideas about how to improve the value realization for yourself as the asset holder. Gotcha. So how common, and maybe you've spoken to this already, but how common is that having this forecast built in? You mentioned it, Kayla, you didn't have any such thing. Obviously, the world is a little bit different, but to what extent do you think people are thinking about actual money in the bank is the bottom line? Yeah, so I think that this is, I would say, if I had to guess brand sum $10 million, I bet less than half of them have a 13-week possible forecast. And I'm like, oh, yeah, be But what I know is, I know right now that there are multiple SaaS products that are working to help brands create this exact. So the tooling that's being built in the system is all about this problem. Yeah. I won't mention the two, two brands now, but like I literally had a demo this week with one of the founders, you know, Waldo Twitter persona who is, is in the office and finance space, who's getting ready to launch one. The final team I can mention, cause they're already in market. We think they're doing great work around trying to give people real time financial views and tooling. So it's just a lot of, it was attribution and trying to understand that cause iOS, but now the cash is the problem. So all the tooling again. The biggest problem, the market solves for it. So when margin's the problem and cash is the problem, the tooling arises to support the primary issue. And right now it's like, where's the money? Do I have enough? Am I going to run out? How do I get more? Those are all the problems. And so the tooling and software arises to support them. Gotcha. Cool. All right. Well, also, uh, today I learned there are 13 weeks and a quarter. I hadn't thought about it that, that way before. There you go. Well, there yeah. you go. I guess it was a 13 is such a bizarre number, but of course that makes sense. Yeah, 26 weeks times 52 weeks in a year, right? 26 and a half, 13 and a quarter. Simple math. All right. On to the outside. Uh, okay, so this is an interesting one. Timu. Timu out in 2024. Explain a yeah. little bit more about Timu here. So I don't, I got to be honest, I don't understand these. They, Timu is, for those of you that have known, it's like a, Chinese marketplace uh, for products. And they are one of the largest spenders, maybe the largest spender on digital advertising in the United States to broadcast the products. And if you've gone in there and shop, if you've ever downloaded it and played around, it is like, it reminds me of Wish. I don't know if you remember that app, but it's just like, like Alibaba came to life in a form <laughs> of a, you know, social marketplace type vibe. They're doing huge revenue, huge numbers, but I have a huge loss. And I just, Part of it, if you go back to our last podcast, this is connected to the idea that I just think that the idea of like selling crap really cheap to people is not a proposition that yes. actually is sustainable. Mm -hmm. And um, there's probably some alternative business strategy here that I don't understand that's more sophisticated than I can realize, but paying tons of ads to sell products for really cheap at a loss doesn't feel sustainable. And I think, again, it's, a, it's the counter to the movement that we're seeing. Uh, more broadly, I think around quality and authenticity and margin and all those things that I think are on the rise. But 
Who knows? They probably know something I don't, but I don't get it. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, I was, was going to say, I was again, my ring light is broken and I was thinking the exact same thing this morning. Uh, Got to get something that works. So I think, okay, let's do a, those are kind of the three we talked about before. Let's do a couple, couple of lightning round quick hits here. I don't think that we talked about this last week. I'm just looking, making sure here, but you'd mentioned here on the ins, generative AI creative. So of course, like we've been talking about this all of last year, it was the big news story of 2023 in a lot of ways. How do you see it playing out? Like what's going to happen with AI in 2024? Or what do you think is already happening in 2024? There's just no way that we aren't really close to upload my brand style guide, upload all my product library, make me any ad I want with verbal prompt in every brand. I got me and my brother were sitting on the couch watching the football game the other night and playing with Dolly on our phones together. And just like, what could we get it to do while we're just sitting here watching a game? And I was like, my son had played a soccer game that morning and I was like, Show me a photorealistic image of a brown-haired boy in a four-screen soccer soccer uniform eating oranges after a game uh, in a Southern California morning at this weather. And it's like, boom, instant image, it's there. It's like, the fact that I can just do that in an app sitting on my couch, it's just like, it's incredible. It really is. And right now there's this whole set of stuff that's to be figured out about how they're going to handle licensed and copywritten information like products. I think products fall into that category in a way that like there's got to be a clear system where you're granting copyright use, but it doesn't end up in the broader AI database and siloing that information. But it's just, it is so coming that every brand has a generative AI partner as part of their creative production process. And it's just like, it's just the capacity is way too powerful to say that it won't exist. And it's going to massively amplify the amounts. Yeah. Well, okay. So I, cause I think, you know, this sort of speaking out my own ignorance, like, what do you think that those, so you've alluded to now the different sort of like, I don't know if you would call them regulatory roadblocks to actually using this for commercial purposes, but to what extent do you think that, like, do you think that's not going to be a big deal at all? Or do you think those sort of barriers will come falling down pretty quickly? Or like, what do you see the, as the mechanic by which we start to be able to use this in a commercial capacity? Yeah, I think these markets have a way of maturing. You know, I, I don't want to parrot the all-in podcast here, right? Because they just talked about this. And I know they all have different views on whether this is sort of like a free market solution that just it becomes too proliferated to actually manage. And there's too much ambiguity around when something playing a use a derivative of a copywritten object or whether everything's going to be licensed and part of a deal. I don't, I don't, I don't know enough about the industry to say that, but I do think that the idea that I grant specific authority and permission to some tool to create things in a likeness that I control and own is a really obvious short-term solution in a way that allows me to just take my library and amplify it mm-hmm. with permission for the AI to utilize my product photos, my names, my life, et cetera, et cetera, in a way that allows me to build with it. That part feels really simple because I'm the owner of the IP. Yeah, if I, as long as I can protect it from entering the broader data sphere, so to speak, I think it's going to be at the very least that part's going to get solved. Yeah. Okay. So, and then kind of like the flip side of that again on the outside was studio production. Um, how do you see that studio production falling off? Like that's kind of every level or. I think if there's any part of this journey of the last 12 years, that is, I think amazingly 
amazing to me how much complexity goes into pulling something off in ways that I, I think is just so underappreciated. It's creative production. And I think about like, we used to own a really nice studio. And I think about what it would take to pull off a photo shoot from finding talent, the hair and makeup to, uh, you know, getting a, a designer on set, a stylist on set, how many people were there, the amount of time that it requires, the physical space that it takes, the storyboarding, the planning, the post-production, the managing of the files afterwards to get them from place A to place B to an editor. To, like that loop is so labor-intensive, both just physically from people in space, that the idea that I can recreate that with a verbal prompt is just, it's an incredible compression of human energy in a way that is just so powerful. And it's an area where there's so much energy required right now for the level of output that it is. And so I think that when you think about efficiency and optimization, it comes for those least efficient things first. Uh, and so I think there's just, of all the places that have room to become substantially more efficient, that's the one where it seems to me that like the idea that you can replicate models or product photography or everything. Like I think about, we used to, we, we, at Kalo, we, we would do these shoots. There was a, it was a really fun photo shoot, but we would build complex. Like we had a set designer that worked in movie studios come yeah. and create a fake living room. And we would put like, you'd have to literally build with your hands giant rooms for a picture. Mm -hmm. Like versus I can now create that entirely in a verbal flow. And then I can insert a human into it. It's just, it's wild to think of the, the just reduction of complexity and time and resources that that solves for okay cool so i think that that kind of wraps it for us is there anything else you want to any one of these that you think we need to call out or identify specifically that's particularly interesting. i just i would i would i would look at your business through the lens of each who is in charge of operations in your business what's their level of authority do you have a head of growth why what is the expectation of their role do they have the ability to actually deliver on the expectation have you gotten to some lifestyle inflation? How lean is your OPEX? Like, just use it as a filter to ask questions about yourself. Are there exceptions to every rule? Of course. Are there businesses where these things don't apply? Sure. All of those things are true, but just hold it up as a rubric and look through it and go, okay, what might be true for us? How could we leverage some of these things? And that's with all of their just opportunities to explore your business through a different lens that I can tell you, working with as many brands as we do, these are the constant conversations that we're in dialogue about in terms of the things that they're considering, the actions that are already happening, the things that are at play in ways that if you can get in front of before you realize them because they're a need inside of your business, you can proactively solve for some of these problems. I think it ends up being a useful resource. Cool. All right. Well, I think that'll wrap it up for us for this week. Short but sweet. Well, uh, yeah, I think, I think that covers it. We'll, uh, we'll see you all next week. Take care, everybody.